Good to see you guys. Hey, this still, um, this is an interesting passage today. We're in the book of Mark, still. Um, and we're still in Mark chapter 9. Um, but this is an interesting passage because uh, it's not, I don't know, it's just not an easy one to, to swallow. Um, Jesus is hanging out with his disciples. He's actually doing this teaching bit. And it's, it's heavy stuff. And so today we're going to talk about cutting your eye out, cutting your hand off, hell. It's going to be fun. Happy Sunday. Uh, you may want to go start smoking now. Um, but it, interestingly enough, they're at Peter and Andrew's house. Okay? They're in Caesarea Philippi. They're hanging out. No, they're in Caesarea. And they're hanging out at Peter and Andrew's house. And it's an interesting passage. I'm just going to start reading it. We'll talk about it. It says in verse 42, If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them if a large millstone were hung around their neck and they were thrown into the sea. Okay, that's just the kickoff of the conversation. Uh, question is, who are the little ones? Mark tells us who the little ones are. Uh, Jesus refers to his followers uh, as little ones or as children all the time. And so these are anybody who follow Jesus. These are people who love Jesus and follow Jesus, okay? And then he says this. There's this chunk here we're going to read that's not really a coffee cup verse. If your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life maimed than with two hands to go into hell, where the fire never goes out. And if your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter crippled than to have two feet and be thrown into hell. If your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out. It's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into where? Hell. This is a fun verse, right? Where the worms that eat them do not die and the fire is not quenched. Okay. So this will be fun. This will be fun chat. Um, this is uh, definitely one of those felt board verses um, that you had in Sunday school. Um, what is Jesus saying here? Well, the word for hell is Gehenna. This is, this is some of you understand that this is a, a word for a place that's literally right outside the city of Jerusalem where people would go and burn their garbage. And this is where people would go uh, get rid of uh, the bodies of family members who died. It's just not a field trip kind of place. It's not, hey, kids. Let's go see what's happening over at Gehenna. Um, and what is Jesus saying here? This is like, at first glance, some of you might be thinking, and you may have been taught that this passage is about private sin in your life that you need to get rid of, or God's going to send you to hell. I'm telling you right now, that's not what this passage is. And 
the tricky part, okay, you just gave me this thing. I don't know how to use this. What do I, <laughs> is that how it goes? Trent, I'm. I won't wait, here you go. Okay, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Um, this is what Dallas Willard uh, called the gospel of sin management. The gospel of sin management. I'm not worried about the video. We're going podcast. Uh, the gospel of sin management is this idea like you and me have to get our lives together morally so that God doesn't do something bad with us. That's not what this passage is. This passage is actually something different. The emphasis here is to deal severely, Jesus says, to deal severely with elements within this Jesus-following community that foster exclusivity and group loyalty. So, do you remember what happened right before this? Right before this, Jesus is hanging out with his disciples. He tells them he's about to go to Jerusalem to suffer and die. And that the, he's going to be handed over to the religious leaders, and then he's going to die on the cross. And his disciples are like, no, you're not. No, you're not. You're not going to do that. That's not the plan. That's not what Messiah is supposed to do. And so immediately after he tells them these things, they're walking along. Do you remember the argument they have? The argument they had is, which one of them is the greatest? Do you remember this? Say, we just talked about it last week. Which one of them is the greatest? And they're arguing about which one's the greatest. And then Jesus kind of gets on their case about that. And then John, this is my favorite. John, remember he says, hey, we saw this guy. And he was casting out demons in your name. But he wasn't following us. And Jesus says, leave him alone, Right? And so there's two things that are happening here. They're arguing along the way, and they're talking about people who aren't a part of their group. And then Jesus launches into this. He says, he says basically, if you cause, as a group, if you cause somebody who believes in me to stumble, you're in trouble. That's what, that's what I'm worried about. He's like, I am charging you guys to lead this movement forward. And if you guys are only about who's greater, if you guys are only about who's in and who's out and who's not doing things properly, and if you're, if you're trying to create this kind of like personality cult or this like uh, this kind of group division and, and we're better than that group and those people aren't a part of us, if you're going to do that, you, you got to start cutting some things off because you're in trouble. And then he goes on. He says, everyone will be salted with fire. And this is a, a, an, an illustration back towards Leviticus. When the, when the people of Israel would bring their sacrifices, this idea of the priest would actually salt uh, they would use salt in, in preparation for some of their uh, sacrifices. And Jesus says, salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can you make it salty again? 
Have salt among yourselves, Jesus says, and be at peace with each other. So, in effect, here's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying the whole movement, okay, this whole movement that I came to start, this announcement, remember the beginning of Mark is the announcement that the kingdom of God is near, right? And to turn, to change your life, to turn your life in a different direction and follow Jesus, okay, this whole movement, this whole idea of living your whole life as a servant, um, as someone who heals, as someone who announces that the kingdom of God is here, as someone who demonstrates it, everything hinges, all of that hinges on whether or not you guys get along with each other and that you welcome people into the community. That's what it all hinges on. And he's having this really like profound, like little family moment with just the disciples. Like what he's hearing out of them and how they're acting towards other people and towards each other is not going to take the kingdom further. It's not. And so he's being really heavy with them. Remember, everybody, a lot of times we have these problems talking about hell in Scripture. The only time that Jesus talks about hell is with religious people. Just want to make sure we're really clear on that. And I'm not having a conversation on is hell real or, you know. I'm just saying when Jesus talks about hell, it's with the religious. He doesn't talk about the hell with like um, the tax collectors, you know, the people he was a glutton with, you know. It's with the religious. Paul talks about us being living sacrifices. Just the same way that Jesus is talking about, we're all going to be salted with fire. And then he says, salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? Now, it was typical at that time, salt was so important for everything. It was important for preserving meat. It was important for everything. But it was in, it, at that time, it was possible to get a batch of salt that looked like salt but it had no effect of salt, meaning it had no taste and it had no preservative qualities. It was just a lump of mineral deposit. And he's like, you cannot make that into salt again. If it loses its ability to preserve, if it loses its ability to do what it was meant to do, you can't make it salty again. And so the, what he's saying is, in effect, is to... You can look like salt and have no effect. That literally you and I could look like followers of Jesus with little effect. That we can gather, we can sing songs, we can do all those things and have little to no effect on the world around us. And, and, it's, and it's really for you and me to think through this. If we look like salt but we have no effect... How are we going to display what Jesus wants to do in this world? Um, and how can we show the world what it looks like to live under God's rule and reign if everything in our lives, in our community, I'm just talking about us as a church, if, if things smell like they're rotting, if things smell like they're spoiling, if relationships are not right, if 
if we're cutting people out, if we're excluding people, if we're making people jump through hoops, if we're pushing people away. He says, have salt among you. It's like, it's this idea of looking for how we as a community um, are sideways in any way. How we exclude or if we manipulate people. Um, And here's the thing. I've been listening, our staff has been listening. I normally don't do this, but I'm going to do this. Recommend a podcast. But our staff has been listening to a really interesting podcast called The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. And if you don't know, Mars Hill is a church that was in Seattle for a number of years. And it's the story of how this church grew really fast. And then um, there was a lot of factors involved. It no longer exists. And it's been really, really challenging for me as a leader, as a pastor, because there's so much in there that I go, oh, like I've got to really, we've got to be really reflecting on our church that we don't get sideways, that we don't create like division and power and, 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 and hurt people with leadership. And the church can be a really, really, really painful place. And I normally don't do this, but do you agree with that? Like, do you agree that the church can be a really painful place? Anybody experience pain in the church? Anybody? Like four of you? Well, that's good. Maybe 12 of you. Um, Jesus is like, I don't want that. I don't want that. And he's trying to get his disciples on board. And the reality is, I would rather be a small church with salt than a huge church with that smells funny and i'm not saying big churches smell funny i'm just saying we have to like our our perspective is we have to be really really careful as a community to root out the stuff that is going to bring other people down and, and, and root out the stuff that's going to keep people from, that's my favorite, when people just like, just gun it right here, right? Uh, we have to be really careful not to, to root that stuff out. So if it smells funny, something is dying or already dead, and it's better to cut it off rather than to go down with it. Um, when our church started, a little crazy story, um, Angela, my wife, started this women's Bible study, and it was a bunch of people in the church that were a part of it, and there were some people outside the church part of it, and it was always just a crazy mix of people. And this one day, she had a couple of people come up to her and say, hey, I want, we should start another Bible study and not invite these people. <laughs> and Angela's like, nope, we're out, we're done. You know, like, that's just not... That's not going to happen. And remember, Jesus is on his way to the cross. He's on his way down. He's, on, he's not on his way, in a sense, up to like conquer people and lead people and rally an army. He's on his way down to suffer and die. And he's trying to get his disciples' mindset and their head around this idea. 
and they don't get it. And what's happening is, is the story of Israel is the people of Israel lost, in a sense, they lost their saltiness. And Jesus is trying to create a whole new Israel, a whole new group of people who are following God and to send them in that direction. And so here's what I would say. How we live matters. How we live in community really matters. This isn't a passage about morals. This isn't a passage about you um, dealing with um, an addiction or anything like that. This is about our community. This is about a cluster of people who follow Jesus together. What's interesting is I think about John. And the Gospel of John is John's account of following Jesus. And John, I think, was really, really, really impacted by this conversation. Because in his account, he writes this. My children, and this is Jesus talking, he says, I will be... I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. He says, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. So John is like taking this further. He's saying this, this matters to the people around us. This matters to the watching world is how we live in community together. It matters. It matters so much. So many people I've had conversations with that are like, I walked away. I walked away from the church. I walked away from... Uh, some of the priorities that the church put in front of me because of the way you guys treat each other. This is a Holy Spirit-sized command. This is a Holy Spirit-driven um, response in us. And so I, I think just really a couple quick questions, really mainly one for us, is where do you see this happening in your life? Where do you see something off relationally with somebody else who follows Jesus? It may be in this church. It may be outside this church. It may be in a family. We've got to be, we've got to clean up our messes. Now, as I told you before, we sat here five weeks ago. We introduced this idea that we were in a threshold moment as a church. Okay? A threshold moment is walking between one room to the next. You pass over a threshold. This is what we called liminal space. We said that we were changing as a church, meaning there was something happening inside of us as a church community that was changing, that was uh, becoming something different and we really didn't know where God's taking us and so we asked you to pray we asked you to kind of take these last few weeks and pray and we've sent out prompts and things like that 
But I can tell you that one of the things that hasn't changed is the DNA we feel like God is putting in us for being a part of each other's lives in house churches. That that has been a profound effect that this this last season has had on our church is many of you have connected in a smaller community on Sunday mornings in a house church. And it's really hard to do. It takes a lot of courage at first, but the reality is you're known. People care about you. Um, we pray for each other. There's been some phenomenal stories of, of people connecting and people um, you know, caring for a need within your house church that, let's be frank, if you walk into a big church uh, or even a church this size on a Sunday morning, that might get missed. We're having deeper conversations. We're beginning to share a little bit more about our lives and our struggles and our hurts and our doubts and our, and our celebrations and our successes. And so we want that to continue because that's going to be part of our DNA. And yet at the same time as a church, we want to be together more. And so starting August 15th, we're going to begin to gather as a large church every other week. But we're still going to keep our house church model going this fall. Now, where we're going to meet, there's a lot of different things that are happening behind the scenes. And, and more of that's going to be coming. But just so you know, there's a couple new house churches starting in August. And there are um, many people actually jumping on board with this idea that have never been a part of our church before which is very exciting. But this means even more to pay attention to the words of Jesus. It means that we have to take seriously what it looks like because so many people are watching right now in this moment, watching the church. And to be frank, let's just be honest, people are watching the church drop the ball. Drop the ball with loving people. Drop the ball with caring for their community. Drop the ball in cleaning up relationship junk. They're watching people who call themselves followers of Jesus hurt other people with pride and ego and power. And so we have to take these words of Jesus really seriously. So what I want to do as we wrap up, I, I kind of want to do what we did last time. But I want this to be... Um, a gathering, and I don't know if this has affected you at all, or um, maybe you're frustrated a little bit with how uh, you feel maybe I've even interpreted this passage. Maybe you don't agree with it. That's okay. But I want to gather around and, and, and cluster here, and I want to pray. And I want to pray a prayer of repentance. And repentance is a hard thing, and, and, and a confession and repentance uh, because there's there's some sidewaysness that we have to deal with, and I want to I want to specifically pray for this church that our gathering, whether they be in house churches or in a large church gathering like this, would be the kind of gathering we would be the kind of people that would not cause someone who's following Jesus or someone who's thinking about and investigating who Jesus is to stumble based on how we treat each other. 